Hello and welcome to the Biology of Superheroes podcast. I'm your host, Shane Campbell-Staten. We're bringing a close to 2019 by wrapping up our two-part series on The Incredible Hulk. We continue our conversation about Bruce Banner, his big green alter ego, and the biology of stress. Now, we spent last episode chatting about the biology of stress and its physiological impacts on the body. We continue that conversation this month focusing on the psychology of stress and how it shapes our personalities. I sit down with clinical psychologist and host of the Arkham Sessions, Dr. Andrea Letamendi. We talk about the psychological impacts of early childhood trauma in Bruce Banner's life, what it's like for two distinct personalities to occupy the same brain, and the psychological benefits of finding our inner smart hulk. And I'm joined in the lab, as always, by my main man and partner in crime, Arian Darby. Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Arian, and I just wanted to deliver a quick disclosure. I am currently an employee of Warner Brothers Entertainment, and any feedback and opinions that I have are solely my own and are not a reflection of the company. So sit back, take a deep breath, and find some inner peace. Hulk! Smash! Because the Biology of Superheroes podcast starts now. So building on this this conversation, you know, when we're talking about us as humans, you know, and our relationship to stress and our understanding of Bruce and his relationship to stress, you know, we're talking about more than just physiology here. Right. You know, especially when it comes to humans, right? we are really interested in how those biological responses actually relate to behavior and specifically psychology, right? How do we understand the psychology of this character that is Bruce Banner? Now, this is even further outside of my wheelhouse, so I really needed to bring in another heavy hitter to understand you know, the psychology of stress. So in order to do this, I reached out to Dr. Andrea Letamendi, who's a clinical psychologist, and she's also the host of the Arkham Sessions. This is an amazing podcast where she looks at, you know, the sort of rogues gallery of the Batman universe and really breaks down a lot of the psychology of a lot of characters that we see. So let's get a little bit of intro into into who she is and what she does. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I work at UCLA and I I take psychological science from pop culture and try to kind of um, explore and examine those themes for the general public. I my origin story actually starts when I when I was a kid. So I used to watch this show called Batman the Animated Series after school, and just you know what I tell people is that that show was the gateway drug into comic books for me. It was kind <laughs> of like it showed me all these wonderful aspects and storytelling of this wonderful character of Batman and and the world around him. And honestly, looking back, I, I can I can I'm pretty confident in saying that I think that was the first time in my life that I became interested in the human mind. I became interested in psychology, um, what makes us tick, 
what makes us do good things, what makes us do bad things. And the show propelled me into the fictional worlds of comics and superheroes. And then through my professional career, I ditched it for some time. Uh, you and I have talked a little bit about imposter syndrome as a yeah. graduate student, um, trying to advance our careers. And um, as a woman of color, I, I felt that I felt a lot of pressure to be uh, always seen as polished, uh, an intellectual, a, um, a serious person. And for a long time, I felt as though this fandom that I loved so much was in violation of that. It almost threatened my career in mm. some ways. A lot of that was self-imposed, and honestly, there were there were some there were some instances of bullying as a kid. So I held on to those childhood experiences to yeah. form this concept. Um, and then the Arkham Sessions was the way in which I reconciled that. The, the show was groundbreaking in that it actually took uh, tonally a, a, a dark um, element to it. It was all drawn on, on black paper versus white paper, so mm. it always had this kind of noir look to it, very, very stylized. And for me, what, what I bring to the show is the, uh, some of the difficult, difficult topics that are brought up. And so the Arkham Sessions is a tribute to that show and also kind of a dedication to psychology and Batman. And if people have never seen that show or are not even interested in the show, the, the podcast, I think, does kind of a nice job of having that be a starting point, but really um, lifting up important themes and just having conversations that um, might help people understand themselves and some of these fictional characters a little bit better. So obviously, Drea is the perfect person to help us gain some insights into the psychology of Bruce Banner and the Hulk. And if you haven't listened to the Arkham Sessions, I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, if you're interested in the Batman universe, Batman the animated series, or even if you're just really curious about psychology and the human mind and you're interested in exploring it through the lens of some of these characters, I think it's a really, really cool podcast. We talked a bit in part one about the potential impacts of childhood trauma on physiological stress responses you know, as they might occur later in life. Now, given Bruce's childhood background, I think this may be a really key component to understanding this character. So I wanted to ask Drea a little bit about how early life trauma may affect our personalities and psychology in the long term afterwards. Certainly, there are complicated factors, right? There's attachment um, factors early on. So how our caregivers attach to us and vice versa and that kind of lays down the framework for how we might um, interact socially and emotionally. The emotional processing is really interesting because um, I tend to think of, uh, I said the other day that trauma is almost like a glue, like it's an adhesive. And so, the again, the context of a traumatic experience is so important. Um, if you have, if you experience what's called a natural disaster-related trauma, a non-assaultive trauma. Um, I, I've experienced the 94 earthquake in, in mm. the Northridge area, for instance. Like, that was very horrific. You yeah. know, I will share that I thought I was going to die. Like, this was really scary. I was a kid. Um, but it was, you know, I, I will sh happy to share that 
Um, although it took some time, I recovered from that. And that's what most people will experience with trauma. When you have assaultive trauma, interpersonal trauma, mm. trauma that is exerted on you by another person, and in some cases this includes combat mm -hmm. or war-related trauma where there is a, an enemy or a figure that is um, imposing this life-threatening um, uh, context on you, there is a higher likelihood of long-term psychological outcomes and the higher likelihood of, of actual PTSD developing from that experience. And so I think, you know, going back to, going back to Hulk, what's interesting is that um, the, looking at the explosion, right, it's like a gamma ray explosion. Yeah. So uh, what is the meaning he puts to that? The way I look at it is, is generally it is an accident, one that, you know, someone did not impose on him. But I also think deep down there's this personal affiliation toward this accident. Mm. This was um, this was something that it was surrounding his work. It was around his identity and personhood. It was perhaps something he thinks he may have been able to avoid or prevent. So there is an element there that makes it a little bit more personal. Um, and so I find that, that that's kind of an interesting element of his individual yeah. trauma. And then what I like about what you're pointing out is... Um, wasn't the first time. Yeah. So what we know about trauma is that um, the more incidents that you experience, the more traumas you experience, the higher your likelihood of developing some kind of um, negative or difficult psychological struggle or outcome following those string of things. Mm. So if you look at you know his parental loss, his um, own self-doubt imposter syndrome, this giant cataclysmic event, um, and something that I think... Um, addresses characters like Clayface and Two-Face, right? Kind of jumping into DC a little bit, <laughs> yeah. dipping into DC, which is what I do. Um, we find that um, when we have some kind of traumatic event that impacts our physical identity, like, you know, disfigures us or creates a kind of a different persona physically, mm -hmm. that has long lasting effects on us psychologically. Um, so what does it mean for him then that he mutates into this, um, what I would, would consider generally a, a objectively ugly monster, yeah. something that most of society would say is an unattractive, ugly monster. Yeah, well, certainly elicits fear. Yes, yeah. So yeah. there's that piece of, you know, socially, this is how I'm now presenting as this monster. And so how do I reconcile those changes and those differences? So Andrea brings up the idea of Bruce feeling this sense of personal responsibility associated with the accident that turns him into the Hulk, um, you know, but also potentially costs many other lives. I mean, we're talking about a gamma bomb after all. This brings up for me the deeply personal relationship that we as scientists have with our science. So yeah, sure, science is it's a quantitative field driven by logic and hypothesis testing, but you know, it's also driven by like the deep passions of the scientists that dedicate their entire lives to the pursuit of the truth. So for me as a scientist, I wake up in the morning and I spend pretty much my entire day, every day, searching for a quantitative truth that defines our world and exploring the mechanisms that generate life. And it's not because it's my job, although I'm lucky enough to get paid for it. 
it's because it's my life's obsession in a lot of ways. Science is the lens through which I view the world. So when we talk about the stumbles and mistakes that come along with the scientific process, it can take a heavy psychological toll, not only for me, but for many of my colleagues as well. And this is an aspect of the scientific process that I really think gets overlooked and goes unspoken way, way too often. It's really interesting to explore that here with Bruce Banner and the Hulk because, you know, a big part of that story, as we mentioned in part one, was influenced by the events of the Manhattan Project. And if you're talking about a psychological fallout from scientific exploration, I mean, this is probably one of the clearest examples in human history. I mean, talking about over 100,000 lives lost globally, if we include the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, due to the development of this nuclear technology. So thinking about the scientists that worked on the Manhattan Project and their realization of what they'd created in the moments after the detonation of the first atomic bomb, I mean, I can't even imagine the psychological impact. And we see this in Oppenheimer's quote, and now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I think this speaks to the heavy sense of responsibility that comes along with scientific pursuit and the personal battle with inner demons of all sorts that scientists face at the edge of scientific discovery. And we see that presented in this very tangible way with Bruce Banner, with this gamma bomb literally releasing his innermost emotions as a monstrous embodiment. I think in our world, you know, that takes the form of insecurities and depression and imposter syndrome that come along with the scientific failure that is so important for our pursuit of the quantifiable truth. Yeah, and, you know, when we think about the Hulk as a character, Marvel, from a cinematic universe perspective, really did an amazing job of making him feel fun and heroic and sort of a, a savior of the day in many instances and, and, and very relatable. But in the comic books, the character is so subtly nuanced and lonely and dealing with a lot of deep and introspective issues. And there's this really remarkable run right now on a series called The Immortal Hulk being done by writer Al Ewing. And he has this amazing quote where he basically says, there are two people in every mirror. There's the one you can see, and then there's the other one, the one you don't want to. And so there's just so much guilt tied up into the dichotomy of the existence of Bruce Banner and Hulk and how they intertwine their lives and depend on one another and with Bruce his life is very simple he doesn't own anything the clothes on his back may or may not be there the next morning when he wakes up and he essentially wanders the earth in an attempt to use the other guy the Hulk as a way to do something good in the world and maybe even potentially atone for his own sins and when we think about just the impact of abuse that not only Bruce Banner has taken in early childhood but even the Hulk takes as a character in the world he's been called an obscenity a freak a hideous useless, brainless waste of protoplasm, 
uh, a monster incapable of affection or not deserving of love. And when you even think of the self-talk that Bruce Banner has reflected upon himself in relation to the Hulk, he said that we should have died in that explosion and saved the world from one more monster and that we don't deserve to live. Mm. We deserve to die. And so it gets it gets really heavy. And when you bounce between the two characters, there's just still never a place of solace and and acceptance and and, and self-worth. It's there's always just this questioning of why am I here? Why am I like this? Who am I becoming when I turn into this? Who am I without this? And, and, and there's just this constant angst that's just powering the character through the pages. And so it, it, it's, it's a fascinating psychological study. And, you know, I, I agree with you. Like, just hearing that clip between you and Andrea was powerful because it, it just brings up so much uh, depth to the conversation about who Bruce Banner is and, and who the Hulk manifests. Yeah, and yeah. You know, so when we're talking about you know this history of trauma as it pertains to Bruce Banner, you know, or even as it pertains to our own lives. I mean, everyone. I don't care, you know, who you are or where you're from or, you know, what your ideology is. Everyone is dealing with some type of trauma. It's just the universal aspect of, you know human nature right being an individual moving around in the world um you know and i think a big part of that is like figuring out like how you deal with those more complex darker angsty sides of yourself and like coming to some sort of acceptance of you in your entirety i feel like you know to some extent we all sort of walk out with you well walk out into the world with with some kind of a mask on, right? And, yeah, and then we see this in Bruce. You know, Bruce, like, you know, he presents as obviously this very brilliant individual, you know, but like, you know, kind of mild-mannered, like some maybe even say meek individual, but obviously there's all of this other stuff that's boiling beneath the surface that he doesn't want to deal with, that he's afraid of, you know, that he feels really uncomfortable with, you know, and we, I think we all feel that you know, in, in some aspect of our lives. And like we see in this character sort of, you know, what the danger in that can be, right. In the sense that, you know, when you trap like some aspect of yourself, like so deep down inside at some point it has to be dealt with, you know, otherwise it just builds and it builds and it comes and becomes something unproductive. Now, maybe it doesn't become like a giant rage monster, but, you know, it will manifest in in some way. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, Bruce and the Hulk are this more general representation of like the nature of the human psyche, right? In the sense of like who we want to be in the world and coming to grips with, you know, those parts of ourselves that we are uncomfortable with or ashamed of or afraid of, etc., and in and in some cases, like when when that when we see these things manifest, this culmination of childhood trauma and then an inability to cope with ongoing stresses, like sometimes it manifests in really interesting and extreme ways. And we see that very clearly with Bruce, in the sense that Bruce Banner and the Hulk 
they're pretty distinct personalities, you know, and they're battling for space in the same brain, like within the same biological entity. And this reminds me in large part of dissociative identity disorder. And, you know, and this is a pretty extreme and incredibly rare psychological phenomenon, but one that I think has been used um, in science fiction broadly and in comic books, um, you know, in a very interesting and complex way. But I think Bruce is unique in the sense that, you know, I think he sort of speaks to this condition in a really interesting way. And I really wanted to get Andrea's uh, viewpoint on this. So let's hear what she has to say. You're talking about these different types of of traumatic events uh, and how they, you know, how they can affect our psyche. You know, when, in some of the cases right, you're talking about like physical dismemberment. But, you know, when we see Bruce, Bruce Banner, when he goes through this accident, He's not physically dismembered, but it seems like in a way, like essentially his personality splits, right? There's, you know, this like, you know, Bruce Banner as a scientist, you know, as, you know, somewhat an emotionally fragile individual, um, you know, which elicits these changes into the Hulk. And then you have this Hulk who intellectually is pretty childlike, but is incredibly resilient they're like sort of mirror opposites of of each other you know and mm-hmm. like hulk i don't know sometimes i see hulk as like the manifestation of of everything you know that bruce banner wish he could have been mm-hmm. as a child and then even we see like the hulk in himself he, he's kind of a childlike character a right? very simple language you know he has a tendency to bond with with children uh, a lot and you know and animals um you know so when to me, this reminds me a lot of, of dissociative identity disorder, um, which, to my understanding, can also is is typically the outcome of, of childhood trauma. Can you tell us a little bit more about dissociative, like what dissociative mm-hmm. identity disorder is, and like what it what happens when two consciousnesses like share a singular mind? Yeah, I really love what you said about the Hulk kind of being in a, a manifestation of some of the emotions or some of the expressions that. Bruce Banner um, has in him, but isn't doesn't express them or doesn't have access to them. And this is kind of how how those um, maybe uh, ideal uh, or aspirational feelings come out. And I, I've never heard it said like that before. And I really um, I really think that's a good conceptualization. When we talk about DID, it gets kind of complicated because. Um, dissociative identity disorder used to be called um, multiple personality disorder mm-hmm. and is um, it is what it sounds like it's it's the presentation of at least two different personas or identities um, manifesting from one person based on their self reports and based on how they express and represent themselves to other people uh, and and typically the the secondary tertiary and the multiple personalities are a reaction, as you said, to a trauma in a way to kind of help the person avoid the bad memories that happen to them. So it's almost like this fragmenting of an identity, this kind of the splitting, that's kind of where that comes from. Um, It's interesting because people who uh, present themselves this way or self-report as having identities have, have vastly different ones. Like, just like Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone may say, oh, this is Jane, and she's a 12-year-old girl, and this is, um, you know, 
Matthew and he's an 80 year old man, you know, all these kind of different representations. The film Split kind of shows this in a supernatural way. Yeah. Um, I, I have interesting feelings about Split because I appreciated it living in kind of this comic book supernatural world. DID is controversial in the field of psychiatry and psychology. Uh, in a lot of ways, we don't have um, we don't have strong evidence of this disorder the way we do with other disorders. And if you think about it, it's really difficult to to kind of um, I don't know unequivocally uh, come to a good conclusion here. Um, one of the difficulties that I have with this presentation, and it's particularly rare, um, this mm-hmm. is one of the rarest conditions. Um, what is challenging for me is that I often find other um, more appropriate clinically, more appropriate explanations. And we often find that people do have access to, to these different parts of themselves, but it's just cleaner, easier, and more functional for them to kind of create intentionally create these different personas Um, and I'm careful because you know I I do not want to dismiss someone's experience if they do have like that um, what Bruce has which is that uh, amnesic quality to Mm -hmm. this right once he's Hulk uh, it's actually kind of comical like he may (laughs) uh, Bruce Banner may just suddenly wake up in an open field naked like where what happened where where have I been what's going on um, and that is what people who uh, who who uh, report having DID, that is what they say happens. They don't know what is going on while these other personas kind of take control, commandeer their brain, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm careful to describe this as something that I think figuratively, like conceptually helps us understand a lot of things. But um, if we look at it from the trauma lens there may be some explanations around kind of a, a, a protective, a self-protective, intentional um, fragmenting of a person where, where they may actually know about the different personalities, but they may feel only permission to present that way versus dealing with the, um, the horrific things that happen to them. The story of Sybil, right, is kind of, I grew up being terrified of Sybil, which is... Um, uh, the story of a young woman who had horrible things happen to her as a kid and then she kind of created these different personalities oh. uh, there's a movie you should see it if you haven't seen it it's <laughs> okay. way back like it's more than 30 years old maybe but um, what bothers me about DID in our pop culture is that it's presented and the same thing with Sybil in a way it was, it's presented as um, as a nightmarish horror like it's kind of you know split bothered me because Mm -hmm. it was showing us that um someone who struggles with this ostensible this mental health disorder is a villain and should be feared and instills violence you know it's just a um not just unlikable but very threatening yeah and and i have issue with that of course um whereas if we take a story like bruce banner and hulk I think that we could figuratively talk about, you know, knowing that there's we don't have these green monsters, right? Mm-hmm. But figuratively, we could talk about um, what this means about parts of ourselves that we don't have full access to. Maybe we want permission. You know, I know a lot of people, myself included, 
there are times that I wish I had permission to be angry and to express um, hostility, uh, to be a little bit more outside the boundaries of what I'm expected to be yeah. as a Latinx female identified person in an institution like the one we're at, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's some helpful um, ways in which the story um, helps me unpack that a bit. Yeah, yeah. Is it like, you know, so the the Hulk himself, right? As as part of that, as part of that duo, right? That is that we know as as the hero, you know, is in a lot of ways like potentially like Bruce's subconscious, like giving him permission to be part of himself that he's been afraid to be or could not access, you know, for for a vast swath of his life. That's a really that's a really interesting perspective. I never considered that. It's I, I Hulk is actually um, even though it, I think originally sort of written as um, like a one-two punch kind of like a simple story, I think over time has really been um, a, a wonderful narrative for a lot of us. I can't remember the comic, but there's one panel I'll never forget reading uh, when. Uh, Bruce, I think he's he's as Hulk, he's as Hulk, and he he's interacting with Tony, Tony Stark, and there's this dialogue about um, we didn't have this choice, like this these things sort of happened to us, mm. and this is um, what we have now is a terrible privilege, mm. this concept of now I'm in this and I have this responsibility that will always include pain and trauma for me and I think it's in one of the films where maybe you might remember this where Bruce tells Tony um, that he tried to shoot himself and he says the other guy spit out the bullet yeah so in other words Hulk refused to die yeah so obviously there's you know there's a lot there Um, you know when we're when we're thinking about you know, Bruce as a character and his relationship, you know, with the Hulk and how they sort of go back and forth with each other. Um, you know, one of the things that, that was brought up in that bit of, of the conversation, you know, which I, I which really caught me was, you know, this idea like the permission to be oneself, right? And, you know, Bruce sort of hiding from like this aspect of himself, which, which is the Hulk. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of making it worse along the way. Like the more you try to bury it, you know, the more he tries to bury it, you know, the sort of you know, the more extreme it is, you know, when the Hulk finally emerges, you know, but as a scientist sort of thinking about this, it also brings to mind, you know, sort of how science culture, a lot of times, you know, especially for those that are like really young, sort of coming into, you know, the field, right, in like the social aspect of the field, you know, not really feeling permission to be oneself. I remember I certainly felt this. I still feel it some, you know, sometimes, you know, even, you know, as a more established individual within the field, but especially, you know, like women and people of color, you know, and depending on your field of choice or you know, like maybe your, you know, religious or political leanings, you know, there's always this aspect of like, is it okay to be me to my fullest extent you know is it okay to dress this way or is it okay to you know to speak with this kind of an accent or et cetera, et cetera? am I going to be judged and so on and you know I think that you know what we see in Bruce is you know sort of 
a really extreme version of like that struggle with different parts, um, with different parts of oneself. When we think of psychological trauma, I think many times we envision it as this kind of non-physical effect that is only really apparent, you know, in our behaviors as we interact with people and, you know, get to see how they respond to things. However, I think research suggests that not only does trauma impact our behavior and emotions, but it may actually physically change the shape of our brains. So things like post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, borderline personality disorder with early abuse, depression with early abuse, they're typically associated with smaller volumes of the hippocampus and the amygdala. The hippocampus is the part of the brain that's responsible for consolidation from short-term to long-term memory and is also responsible for spatial memory. And the amygdala, it also plays a role in memory, but also decision-making and emotional response. And in 2006, there was a study published in the American Journal of Psychology that examined the hippocampal and amygdala volumes of patients with dissociative identity disorder. So they used magnetic resonance imaging to measure volumes of the hippocampus and amygdala in 15 female patients that had DID and then 23 female patients that did not have DID or any other known psychiatric disorder. And they found that the volume of the hippocampus was a little over 19% smaller in those women with DID And they found that the amygdala was a little over 30% smaller in patients with DID compared to healthy subjects. Now, these findings may have clinical implications for the treatment of dissociative identity disorder, uh, which is important because, as Drea said, DID is very rare and it doesn't seem to be very well understood. For example, understanding dissociative identity disorder as a trauma-related disorder that involves alterations of neural circuitry in areas of the brain associated with memory, like the same areas that also seem to be affected by much more common disorders like PTSD, may help clinicians to better understand how and why specific symptoms present in DID patients. Yeah, this conversation was fascinating, and there's there's so many ways we can take a look at what the manifestation of the Hulk means to Bruce and his identity. If we're strictly talking about it from an intellectual and emotional level, Bruce could theoretically represent the scientific self and the voice of rationality, while Hulk represents something that's a little bit more based in gut feelings and hunches and intuitive connections. Or maybe the Hulk is everything Banner wanted to hide and everything he pretended he wasn't. And the Hulk is the protector Bruce wished he had when he was a kid. Or even Hulk could just be this manifestation of an ability to uh, just emotionally process unrestrained and unrestricted at will. And so all of the injustices or microaggressions uh, that had built up over the course of a lifetime are able to be manifested through uh, this transition into the Hulk for Bruce. 
and I just found the concept of dissociative identity disorder fascinating too because it's not necessarily the first time we see it in the Marvel Universe. If you look at the show Iron Fist in season two, you get an introduction to Typhoid Mary, who's actually Mary Walker, I believe, on the show. Oh, uh, yeah. And her manifestation of dissociative identity disorder actually kicks in during, uh, like, I, I think she was involved in a war in Sokovia, and her squad got ambushed, and so she sort of manifested this other personality um, that was a complete badass. Yeah. And but, protector. And protector. And of, that's kind of what Hulk, you know, Hulk does for Bruce as well. Exactly, exactly. And then Andrea also brought up some of the dialogue between Tony and... Bruce or Tony and the Hulk in one of the comics and even when we look at the Avengers film uh, there's kind of this quick banter between them as Tony talks about how the mini arc reactor that he's instilled into his chest is now literally a part of him because it's the only thing that's stopping this cluster of shrapnel from like reaching his heart and Mm. ending his life and you know, it's it's not just an armor, and he, he kind of actually used the phrase, it's a terrible privilege. Yeah. And Bruce comment on, commented on it and basically said, well, you know, you, you actually chose this, and you can control it. And Tony responded, well, it's because I, I learned how. And, you know, he basically brought up this idea that, like, that accident that Bruce encountered with all of the exposure to the gamma radiation and and everything as part of his transformation, there's no way scientifically he should have survived it. And so maybe, you know, there's this idea that the Hulk actually saved Bruce's life Mm. in the manifestation of of, of kind of coming into existence in that moment. And, you know, the question kind of becomes, like, what, like, at least from Bruce's perspective, it's like, why, why? Why did he save my life? Like, for what? And... You know, they kind of leave it at, like, you know, you might actually enjoy finding out eventually. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that even after, like, the initial event, you know, we see the Hulk as, you know, he sort of comes up as a as a protector over and over again. You know, in the sense that, like, obviously, one, you know, anytime Bruce is, you know, is being attacked, you know, his defense mechanism is literally the Hulk, right, in this sort of emotional outburst. You know, but then also when... You know, Bruce is feeling completely defeated and, you know, psychologically downtrodden, you know, to the point of suicide, you know, even to the point where he makes the conscious decision to try to end his life. You know, the Hulk is the protector, you know, and, you know, in in the end and like spits out the bullet. And it's like, you know, but, yeah, you can see that as like maybe like another entity sort of vying for its own survival or like some deeper aspect of Bruce himself, you know, realizing that, you know, even in the most extreme moments, right, there's still some reason to keep going. Even if you don't know what that reason is right now, you know, therefore, like, let's keep going. Yeah, and that's a fascinating point because when we talked about the powers of the Hulk, one of the things we didn't mention is that the Hulk may actually be immortal. And Mm. Bruce Banner has died multiple times, but the Hulk has always come back. And so it's more than just a healing factor. And, you know, on occasion, as you mentioned, like Bruce 
has actually attempted to kill himself on purpose. And even in the comic books, at one point, he enlists Hawkeye to assist him with this attempt. And he essentially says, hey, here's a custom arrow tipped with gamma-enriched vibranium. I want you to aim this directly at my hypothalamus and pull the trigger because you are the most accurate person in the Marvel Universe. Hmm. And Hawkeye pulls the trigger, and at the end of the day, the Hulk comes back. Yeah. And so he's always there for him. and Whether he wants him to be or not. Whether he wants him to be or not. And that's just such the, the fascinating dynamic between these entities and how the, in their relationship with each other. Yeah, so I think you're, you know, exactly right. And, you know, this relationship, I think, for for such a long time is, you know, this sort of fraught versus relationship, right? It's like Bruce versus the Hulk and, like, the Hulk versus Bruce and them vying for position to the extreme where, you know, we see, like, at some points, you know, where, you know, Bruce sort of gains control and he suppresses the Hulk, you know, and then the Hulk is trapped, you know, in, like, within within Bruce's mind, but then something happens and he's able to get out and then the Hulk suppresses Bruce and like the Hulk is just, you know, walks around for sometimes years, you're like as the Hulk and then Bruce is, you know, sort of confined and trapped within the mind. And, you know, but at some point, you know, what's really interesting is that, you know, we see this with Endgame is that at some point they have to come to some resolution, right? And they have to come to some understanding and it's in that understanding right to different degrees that they really sort of find who they are together as a hero you know and we see that you know as you know in terms of like their relationship with the avengers you know bruce and the hulk have to work together in order to actually be a part of this greater team you know and then ultimately with that you know with the end product of of end game you know sort of merging together in this sort of more seamless fashion. So, you know, I asked Andrea a little bit more about sort of her perspective on, you know, this sort of transformation of uh, of Bruce and the Hulk's relationship, you know, as we see it play out throughout, you know, the cinematic universe and the pages of the comic books. So let's hear what she has to say about this. What did you think of the Hulk in Endgame? So that is the next thing (laughs) that I wanted to to ask you is that, you know, so Endgame, like, they threw us a crazy curveball, you know, and that, like, now we see this quote-unquote smart Hulk. And, you know, when I'm looking at this character, I think of, you know, it's like finally, like, these two pieces have, you know, they've come to an understanding and, like, realize that they truly are one in the same, you know, and that they are operating as such, you know, so, and then that physically manifests, right, as, like, you know, all of the strength that Bruce wished that he had in his childhood to cope with that, with that, that pressure, but also, but him taking ownership of it, it's like, I am this, I am the Hulk, and I am Bruce Banner, I'm both brilliant, you know, and Mm -hmm. the strongest there is, and so I see, so when I think about that character, that's sort of where, where my mind goes. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really, it took me by surprise, but I liked the integration of the selves. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that it took this event, right? This, the snap 
is uh, something that propelled a lot of different reactions and responses, and and they all kind of make sense within each of the the Avengers. Um, this uh, horrific act of global universal terrorism uh, led Captain America to be um, in this kind of helping role. He's like going to these group therapy sessions, and he's even uh, able to silver line some of this. Like, well, you know, the good news is that the oceans are cleaner, or the dolphin. Like, he he was able to gra- to grasp something good that came out of such um, horror. Yeah. Um, Natasha uh, kicked into um, service, like uh, military service. Um, uh, just that kicked her into this leadership role where she found a, a way to function, and then. You know, of course, we don't have the time to talk about Thor, right? Because there's a <laughs> yeah. whole other episode yeah. about Thor that we're going to do. But then, you know, um, the integration of the selves with uh, with Bruce and and the Hulk is kind of an interesting way to respond to this new world. Mm-hmm. Like, half of us are gone. I need like, and there's two of me. Like, yeah. I I need to find harmony. Everything is so chaotic. My social and um, you know my social environment, the ecosystem is in is has been disrupted. This propels me to connect and and intertwine myself. And so, out of all this uh, imbalance and chaos, you find like an interesting moment of harmony and, yeah. and connection internally with them. So you know, as as a uh, psychologist, you know, for those of us, you know, who are looking for our own sort of inner peace, trying to find our own smart Hulk, so to speak, you know, do you have any advice, you know, about dealing like generally like dealing with trauma, either immediate trauma, like past trauma, like how to move into, you know, a a psychological framework in which, you know, we can, you know, we can harness all those different parts of ourselves to do, to do good in our respective Mm -hmm. uh, cultures and communities. Um, that's a great question. I, I think there are a couple things I can think of. Um, one is to practice some self introspection. So just to kind of um, do check ins with the self. Um, this is really straightforward, but for some people, they don't. Um, they may be too stressed or busied or aren't aware that this is helpful. But just tuning into the self checking in with my state of emotions, uh, my level of happiness, my level of depression, my level of anxiety, like where's my mood at, that sort of thing. And um, noting those changes and, and noting if those changes happen, what is the antecedent? Like what, wait, why am I feeling so crappy? What happened? Let me mm. examine that, let me unpack that. So just a nurturing self introspection and being just, um, this is going to sound very Jedi-ish, but like just tuning in and being um, searching for that harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece, was, which is a little bit more functional and practical, I guess, is to um, seek connection and meaning. And so what I mean by that, and, and this isn't an overnight solution, but it means um, what are the things that are important to me in this life? What what brings me a sense of meaning and purpose it notice i'm not saying like that trauma or those um, experiences of of adversity are just going to be ignored or go away but how can i kind of reclaim my personhood and understand how 
um, what's important to me, the, the meaning and the value that I have for myself and how I fit in this universe, um, what, what is that for me? What's, what's the labeling or the naming of that? You and I might say, like, what is your superhero mission? Like, what yeah. is that thing that you get up and tell yourself, this is what I'm here to do, um, despite the trauma, despite being hurt, despite people um, not believing in us? What are those things? Um, and I think that can be particularly self-inspiring just to kind of connect to those missions. Um, that, I think, is... Um, hopefully a foundation for having hope and moving forward and, and linking ourselves to this, like really um, what could feel like a very chaotic, disorganized universe. So I love what Andrea says about practicing the skill of self introspection and in particular, bringing awareness to your emotions. And look, if you have an issue that like there's a clinical issue and a, a problem that you're dealing with please please do seek professional help whether it's from a, a psychiatrist or, or whomever you can reach out to because these issues matter yeah and you know from my perspective what's been helpful for me in my life is that i view i view it as you are not your emotions you have the full right to feel what you're feeling but feeling depressed doesn't mean that you are depressed and I feel as though whether it's anger or depression these are identities we can take on but we can also choose not to by creating space between ourselves and the emotion and so here's like an example of what that looks like like if you've ever been angry about something and maybe you're talking to a friend and someone tells a joke and you actually laugh and you know uncontrollably just kind of reactionary it was funny and you laugh but then you you remember that you're angry and you <laughs> go back to being angry and so the the question is almost how committed are we to these identities because the game becomes drawing awareness, using self-introspection to bring awareness to the situation, bring awareness to the emotion that we're feeling, observe it, figure out whether or not it's effective for you in this moment, and pivot to something else if you can, if you're finding that it's not serving you. Because that that's the game. It's a catch and release game. Mm. And so that art of introspection and that skill set is something that's cultivated over time it requires work it requires perspective maybe outside perspective or help in developing the tool set and, and the skill to be able to to practice it but it's such a game changer absolutely and you know i know this is this episode is very different than than what we normally do um with these types of thought experiments but you know, I think that this character is just like such an interesting way to explore both like the biology and the psychology and, you know, the societal implications of emotion and stress and trauma and how we deal with it on a personal level, how we deal with it on a community level. I just could not sort of, 
you know, walk away from the opportunity to, you know, to explore this inter- intersection of, of, of science and society. You know, I, I hope that this episode was like informative and, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, even inspirational for, you know, for some of the folks listening, you know, but I really think that we learned a lot about the mechanisms that lead to the Hulk as a character, right. In terms of, you know, Bruce's transformation, you know, and his experience of his environment by way of stress and how that, you know, how those cascading hormonal and neurological processes can potentially lead to this transformation, but then also, you know, how his greater life as a scientist and in his early life as a child also contribute to what we know as the Incredible Hulk. Also, at the end of the day, you know, I think Bruce Banner and and the Hulk are, you know, a really interesting thought experiment, you know, sort of looking at how they change over time in terms of how to utilize and accept and harness the power of all of these different aspects of self, because ultimately, like regardless of whatever we're trying to get done in the world, whether we're, you know we're trying to be like a brilliant physicist or you know or other type of scientist like you know like myself, or whether you have some other aspiration you know in life, like you know really harnessing all the tools at your disposal as an individual is really important. But you know a big part of moving towards that end is accepting oneself regardless of all this weird crazy societal pressures that can get put on us all, um, you know, as, as individuals. And the last thing that I'll say about, you know, this character, the Hulk is that, you know, again, I think, you know, this exploration really, I think for me drives home the importance of understanding science within its societal context, because I think with this exploration and with a lot of different aspects of, you know, of biology, the social context in which, you know, the science and the biological mechanisms exist, right, they give us a much broader, much clearer understanding of, you know, what the biology means, right? And in this case, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, personal and societal health outcomes, for instance, um, so altogether, man, I, I, I had a, I think this was a really difficult conversation, but I'm really glad that, you know, we were all able to, to, to go through this together. Yeah, me too. I, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode of the biology of the psychology of the societal <laughs> intergenerational trauma healing of superheroes podcast. We covered so much ground i mean i know uh, like the name of our podcast is long already but like that's like a very very long metaphysical title for this particular episode (laughs) 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 oh but you know as always aaron man i i love like going down these these roads with you this was a cool thought experiment uh so thanks again for being on the lab dude yeah appreciate you man always a pleasure Much love. Peace. I really hope you enjoyed the last episode of 2019. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hit us up with your questions and give us a rating on iTunes. So with that, I'll say thanks again. See you in the new year. And until then, stay curious.